Hey there and welcome. You're listening to Dominican Girl Rising with Darling Jimenez. Welcome to the show. Hi again, it's me. Welcome one more time to Dominican Girl Rising. So happy to be here sharing with you guys today. And today's topic is one that is near and dear to my heart. Today, I'm going to be talking about growing up in the Dominican Republic um, and what that was like for me, and then subsequently trying to adapt to a new culture and essentially a whole new world um, when I moved over to the United States. Um, So um, I thought that a useful format for this podcast overall would be to maybe talk about some of my life experiences and then share lessons and observations as I was navigating through that time. Um, So that is kind of what the goal is for today. Um, I'm super excited to share with you guys. So let's dive in. Alrighty. So as I mentioned before, I grew up in the Dominican Republic um, and I was born in 1990, April baby. Um, And growing up in the Dominican Republic was absolutely a very interesting experience. One thing that stands out in my mind is I had a really great childhood. And by that, I mean, we were not rich. We did not have a lot of money. We had the necessities, like the basics. And the truth is that when I was born, um, my parents were not very well off at all. Um, we had like a, a very small house made of wood and sink. Um, so like wood was like the walls and then the roof itself was sink. And we lived up on a hill um, in the capital of the Dominican Republic, San Domingo. Um, and that area, that area was known as Los Coquitos. Um, and it was right next to a river, a very super dirty river. And for a visual explanation, like if you're trying to visualize it as you're listening to me, um, the best approximation that I can give you is it looked like a favela. So you had the super colorful houses and they were all on top of each other and it was kind of like on a mountain. Um, and that is the area where I was born. I was born in a hospital, but that was the area where, um, we lived and where I spent my baby years. So I don't remember too, too much of it, but I do remember a few things because I was there until about the age of five. Um, and things that I remember are things like, um, just how loud it was. It was really loud as a neighborhood. Like, um, there was a lot of music playing all the time. A lot of people. It was like a very vibrant little area. And there was this dirt road that would lead to, from where we live, all the way up to like the main street. Um, and I just always remember a lot of rocks there and kids playing around and running about. Um, and for myself, I lived with my mom and my dad at the time, as well as my sister. But it actually um, also was a neighborhood where there was a lot of family members. So people that um, also live there um, are family members of mine, like my grandmother and my grandfather and a few other people, um, like uncles and aunts and just a lot of family members nearby. Um, So it was great having them around and I just remember playing a lot. Um, But the interesting part of the story is the bathroom. So the bathroom was actually like a shared community bathroom. Um, And by that, I mean, it was like in the backyard and there were like about five or six, seven houses that had access to that bathroom. Like it wasn't like your standard, like, oh, every home has its own bathroom kind of thing. Um, It was like a community bathroom. And it was not like a standard like plumbing or anything. It was like a big hole in the ground. And then the toilet you could sit on was like made out of cement. 
and it was kind of like a rim. And then um, in order to shower, there was a big blue bin, like I guess nowadays they're used like as shipping containers, but it was like a big blue bin round about cylinder like in nature. And then um, there was water there. And the water had something called gusarapos, which I'm gonna have to go ahead and use Google Translate um, right now, just as I'm speaking to you, um, to try and figure out what that is in English. Um, it's, okay, a warm, okay, I guess that's what it's called. Um, so there were some like worms in the water. And so I remember there was like a cor coriander, not coriander, <laughs> not coriander. Um, what is that? See, I, I don't really speak English, guys. It was a colander, there you go, um, that was attached to the contraption, the water holding thing. Um, and basically, it would allow you to um, take water out and then like filter it so that the little worms wouldn't come with it. I know this all sounds so weird and kind of crazy to think about for myself, but yeah, that was what the bathroom was. It was a big blue bin full of water and you had to use the colander to get the little bugs out, um, little worms out, and then you would shower and it was like not cold. It wasn't cold, cold water, but it wasn't warm water either. Um, so it's kind of like in between cause it had been sitting in there all day. Um, and again, it was shared. So that, that I guess that's kind of interesting, right? Um, it's something that certainly I haven't thought about in a really long time, but that's what I remember of the bathroom. So, um, it was interesting. Then, as um, I grew a little bit older and my family kind of worked hard and found itself kind of improving its condition, we moved over to this other neighborhood, um, Cobayamea. In that area, um, we had a really nice house with indoor plumbing. And what I mean by really nice is like decent. I mean, it wasn't fancy, it wasn't anything extravagant, but we had indoor plumbing, which was really nice, and we didn't have to share a bathroom with anyone. Um, and so, during that time when we first moved to that area, um, my mom actually came to the United States for the first time. Um, and she came because she knew family and some friends. And so um, with how things were going in the DR and the lack of opportunity, um, she just felt that it was time for her to find something that could help her improve her life and her family's life and condition. So again, the American dream, very, very common. She left over to the um, US, but she could not bring me with her. Um, so instead, I actually ended up living with my grandmother. My grandmother um, had, like, it was her, my grandfather, and then a bunch of my aunts, a lot of female aunts that all lived with her. Um, so I lived with them, um, and my dad was still in the country and very much involved, and my dad is awesome. But um, at the time, he was working a job as a fresh produce reseller. And so he would have to be um, this place called El Mercado at like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning to go get the best produce so he can then go and um, sell it at this little market thing that he had. Um, so he did that for a really long time and just the schedule wasn't going to work in terms of being able to be present at the house for me. Um, so I ended up living with my grandmother and my grandfather, who incidentally had also moved to like that neighborhood um, that I was just talking about with the decent house with plumbing and all that good stuff. So then um, I used to live with um, my grandmother, my grandfather, and my aunts. And my aunts were all of various ages. Um, like there was quite a few of them. So there was like 
probably six or seven of them living in the same house at the same time. So needless to say, we were like a very um, close family because I think it was like a two-bedroom house and there were like oh, maybe 10 people living in there. Um, but I had an amazing childhood. Like my aunts um, were such principled women and even though they were young at the time, like they're all either going to university or they were in high school and they were studying. Um, and I remember Saturdays would be really fun for me because it was cleanup day. Um, so everybody would kind of like be cleaning up a certain area. I learned to wash clothes by hand because at the time that was kind of the norm. Um, we didn't have anything fancy like a washing machine. Um, I learned from watching my grandmother how to cook. She would keep chickens in the backyard. Um, and she would like absolutely kill them herself. And it was a very interesting city life but like with a lot of elements of the country right because my grandmother was from the country and my grandfather was from the country um and for a long time a lot of my family lived in the country so there was that my grandmother was like an absolutely amazing cook um but looking at all of that now i think part of what stands out for me um is how much simpler life was um so at the time when i was growing up which was like during the 90s um as a kid, I feel like I had very little to worry about. I was mostly focused on going to school, um, helping out around the house, um, and playing. Those were like the things that I worried about, the things that I focused on. Um, there was a lot of playing outside. And we kind of were really creative and came up with a million and one different games to play um, outside. And it was just such a beautiful childhood filled with really great memories. Um, and nowadays, like, as I am raising my girls, I, I just feel like there's so much more that they deal with on a regular basis. Um, just so much more distractions, so many things that they can easily kind of be influenced by without my knowledge. You know, I feel like when I was growing up, it was mostly you hang out with friends and your parents basically control who are you allowed to hang out with. Um, so there's not as much influence. There was not this kind of reliance on technology. There were not really phones, like, or if they were, like, kids like me didn't have them. That was for sure. Um, so it was just interesting growing up during that time and how much more innocence I was able to cultivate for so much longer. Um, so, yeah. Um, of course, I honestly think that I was probably um, a really blessed child because even though my family wasn't super well off, I do know that we had enough to survive um, and there was always food on the table. So that was not anything that I ever had to worry about. Um, I did grow up being like a really nerdy kid. Um, and nowadays, like, it's interesting because it seems to be cool, but also not to be nerdy, um, especially with like the rice and things like bullying. Um, but I just remembered loving to read and just loving school. I've always, I don't know, I always was that child. I love school. I love learning. I could easily like get absorbed into a book um, and spend hours and hours and hours and hours just reading. Um, and I just love school, which was apparently like not a very common thing. Um, but anyways, as I moved to the United States, and I guess this is probably going to be the bulk of the conversation, um, I really had a hard time. And my hard time came from adjusting to living with my mom in a whole new world that I did not understand. I didn't know the English language at all. Um, and yet I frequently found myself in positions where 
I needed to be able to translate for my mom. And I think if you speak to any immigrant children, that's probably going to be a really common struggle that you hear. Um, but wow, what a responsibility as a child, 12, 13 years old, to serve as the primary translator for your family. Um, I was looking at legal documentation, at applications, at things that were really important and had a significant impact in my family. Um, but sometimes I didn't even understand the language because the words were so much more sophisticated. So I think the result of that um, was actually a little girl who was a little girl. I feel like I had to mature quickly um, because the issues that we had to face being immigrants in this country and the just everything that was coming up were things that needed to be handled um and they needed to be handled by myself and my mom with it just being the two of us and no additional family anywhere nearby uh we really had to rely on each other and i think that's probably part of the reason why my mom and i have such an amazing relationship we are tight um and it's not always perfect but um i definitely feel like we just dealt with a lot um and if you are an immigrant child who identifies with this story, then I just want to throw out the words thank you. Because at 12, 13, 14, even younger than that, um, it's really hard to become kind of like an adult in a way and to be responsible for how well your family is able to navigate the American system. Um, I just remembered it like it just fueled me in a whole different way. Like my need to learn English in many ways came from the understanding that I was gonna be a representative for my mom, for myself, um, and just overall for near neighbors that also did not speak English. So one um, anecdote that comes to mind is they used to have like a homework help hotline. Um, and in it, they would kind of help you if you were an immigrant child and need it to understand something and couldn't like translate it properly. And I'm talking about like the prompts for homework and things like that. So I remember I used to spend hours, just hours on the phone with these, um, with the hotline basically saying, hey, I don't know what this word means. It spells um, W-R-I-T-E, what is that? Um, and again, this was before things like Google was of such easy access and before, computers were on the rise, right? So it was just a very difficult time. And like, I'm proud of myself. Let me go ahead and throw that out there. Um, because it was a difficult time to overcome. Um, and I learned a lot and I grew really quickly. So I started out sixth grade being in an ESL class. Um, and then within a year, I actually moved on to be in a regular class. And then by eighth grade, I actually became um, an honor student. And so I was moved to the honors class. And then after that, I actually was valedictorian that year. So that's one of those like few accomplishments in my life that I'm incredibly proud of. Because to go from someone who did not know the language at um, on sixth grade and then graduate as valedictorian of a whole school on eighth grade, I think that's a pretty big accomplishment. But again, I think my drive was a lot bigger than just myself. It wasn't about me. It was about me being a representative for my family. Um, so then as time went on and I moved on to high school, um, I think it became clear to me that not only was I a representative of my family, but it was going to be my responsibility to do well for my family in order to, I would say, not justify, but 
honor the sacrifices that were made by my mother. Um, and she's just such a driving kind of factor in my life, right? But I just remembered, even from ninth grade on, I just had this drive. I want to go to a good school. I want to get an education. And education is going to be thing, the thing that's going to liberate my family from poverty. Um, and although I cannot say that I've been able to like pull my whole family out of poverty, um, I do have to say that I am grateful for the for the opportunity that becoming educated has provided for me. So beyond owning my own business, beyond the finances of it all, um, I think that there's a lot more understanding of the system and uh, like just a different way that I am able to help um, the people around me, right? Um, and that that's something that I'm really grateful for. Um, ultimately, I think high school was probably the most difficult time for me because even though by then I was adjusted to the system, um, it was, it was hard growing up as a Dominican girl in Brooklyn, um, just learning to navigate my age, um, the goals that I had and how to get there, just how to get there. Um, there weren't so many people that believe in me. Um, I remember at one particular time, there was this high school counselor um, who frequently made fun of my accent. And when I expressed to her my dreams of going to an Ivy League college, just absolutely laughed in my face. And I know that's common. I know that there's a lot of Latinos and Latinas and just minority groups in general who have this great big dream and it just seems so large. And then when you dare to express it to someone you trust, they sometimes laugh at you and think that's not possible for you. You're too brown, too black, too poor, too anything to reach that particular goal. Leave that to these other people. Um, and at that stage, I realized phrases like believing yourself are not, they're not just words. They're true and very real concepts that you need to adhere to. Um, when I was applying to colleges after working really hard my high school career, um, I realized that there was a chance I was not going to get into an Ivy League school. And so my kind of um, way of getting around that is I literally applied to every college that I possibly could. Some of the ones that were really easy for me, um, quote unquote, um, some mid-level ones, some that were reaches. And then I basically applied to six Ivy League schools. Um, and I just hoped and I dreamed and I worked. I worked my ass off. I think I think that probably a lot of my work ethic comes from what my life was like in high school. I remember um, not only being part of extracurricular clubs, but also holding a job. And then trying to hold that job so that I could save money so that I could apply to the colleges that I wanted to go to. Um, I was very driven. I think I was very driven. Um, and I'm not saying that it was like a took my own horn kind of thing. Um, but I just know that my story is a story that is common. As I went to college and I met other young women such as myself that were of Latino backgrounds, that were African-American, one thing that I heard continuously was this is something that I'm doing for myself and for my family, and I've worked my ass off to get here. So. So many of you guys out there have just completed college, are on your way to college, are working towards college, or 
are now young professionals and just hats off to you hats off to you because it's not designed for us the system isn't designed for us god knows that when i was applying to college i was so confused i could not figure it out the common application i was like what um so by the time thank god for the internet I just research and Google and research and Google and I would go to sleep at really late hours of the night. Um, but you do the work, you do the work and you do your best. And then one day you realize, oh crap, the work that I've put in has actually turned into something. Um, and that is, that's just amazing. So anyways, all of this um, to say and to share that this, my story is a common story, right? Um, There's so many other women like me who have, encountered and faced similar circumstances. And ultimately, um, you are in the struggle and you're doing the best that you can. You have the right motivation and you cannot quit and you have to keep going. Whether you are in college at the moment trying to get your degree, whether you have already graduated and are a young professional and have goals and dreams that you're trying to reach for, you cannot quit. You cannot quit on yourself. You cannot doubt yourself. You cannot listen to the guidance counselor that is telling you that the Ivy League would never accept you. Um, Imagine that person shocked when you do make it and you have to believe that you can. I'm telling you, I applied to six Ivy Leagues. I got into at least three of them that I can remember. um, And my dream came true. I went to an Ivy League. And while that's a whole other podcast with a whole set of experiences that are not necessarily so positive, um, I can honestly say that that was one of those moments where you realize what you have in you, what drives you, what you have that can take you over the finish line, right? That, um, that motivation, that strength, that determination, that commitment to the goals and the visions that you set for yourself. And it's just so easy nowadays to get distracted because there's so much out there that is pulling you in a different direction, right? Um, And information nowadays is just so misleading. If you look at um, things like, I don't know, Instagram models or YouTubers and you hear the stories about how this person is making so much money and then you see these pictures of people just traveling all the time and then you're sitting there and I can honestly say as an entrepreneur, that's like something that I feel a lot. It's like, wow, are my efforts truly meaningful? As an entrepreneur, you often see like images of people like traveling the world and just like looking happy and just doing fun things, right? You would almost think entrepreneurship is a vacation. Um, And then you sit down in the trenches and you look at what it is and it's not that glamorous. So interestingly enough, like I wish I could see more pictures of people on the grind because the grind is not, it's not the travel and the fun part. The grind is the sitting down at the computer for hours and then is the tough clients that you speak to. The grind is just working really hard and sometimes feeling like you're ready to give up, but realizing that that is not an option. You must keep going. Um, so yeah, just God, there's not a lot of realistic stuff out there today. Um, but no matter what, if you believe in yourself, if you work hard, but most importantly, if you show up, just show up for the fight. Slowly but surely, you'll get there. Consistently show up. Consistently do the work. Consistently be there. Eventually, things do start to fall into place with a hell of a lot of work in between. That has been our podcast for today. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.